Well, thank you, Nick and worship team for leading us this morning. I'm going to invite all of our parents or grandparents who have children to send to kids' church. You can send them up here to the front, three years through third grade, and they're going to go downstairs and have a wonderful time And um, as they're making their way out. Let me just say a couple words about our sports camp this past week. Uh, we had a phenomenal time doing something a little different with a sports camp versus a traditional vacation Bible school. And I know when we began to announce that uh, several months ago, I had some people uh, actually express a little bit of concern. Well, Pastor, we're not doing a vacation Bible school. And uh, the, the whole idea was, was beyond their, their ability to really grasp. And so I just began to explain that, yeah, we're doing vacation Bible school rather than a bunch of crafts to send home. We're going to uh, teach sports. And so this will be a way to tweak our approach to maybe engage some different types of families, different families that have never uh, been a part of anything that we've done here. And so hugely successful this past week. We had 193 total, including 400, or, yeah, give a round of applause. That was sort of half-hearted, by the way. Let's go ahead and give a good round of applause because I might have cut you off. That's better. So 193 total, which includes 47 volunteers. It takes a lot of people to pull off an event like that. So thank you so much. Those of you who served or, or provided something, maybe you, you provided some sort of drink or something like that, but we could not have done it without the help of our church family. So thank you so much. Uh, just one of those things that you do, if, even if you weren't able to serve this past week, by simply uh, giving, tithing and giving regularly to the ministry of this church, what you're doing is you're giving through this church to do things just like that, to reach kids, minister to them. So we had a, a several new families, a lot of new families that have never been a part of anything that we've done here at Redline. So it was really refreshing, really neat, a lot of positive feedback. In fact, we had one of the moms Friday evening after our family assembly. There was a bunch of families out here playing in the playset and just hanging out for, for a long period of time. And one of the ladies was talking with another mom, and she knew I was close by. And so she was kind of speaking where I could hear it. She's like, I hope they can, they'll do it next year. I hope they'll do it. Maybe we could talk to the pastor, and they will do this again next year. And I was like, ah, it's, you know, we'll probably do it. It's not my decision. It's Jennifer's, but we will probably do this again next year or something like that. And so thank you, church, for your investment into the future, your investment into our children. Take your copy of God's Word and find your place in Ephesians chapter 2 this morning. We're going to be looking at verses 11 through 19. We're in a series on what it means to be a hospitable or a welcoming church. So let me share this little story with you. Uh, when you think about what it means to be a welcoming Christian or a welcoming church, it's good to hear someone else's experience. And here's a man by the name of Ryan. Ryan was in his late 20s. He's got a couple of kids. He's married. And, and he really began to, 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 to sense there's something missing in his life. I mean, he's, he's starting to hit that, that point where he realizes he's no longer, longer a kid. He's got a career. And all the things, things are sort of clashing together in his life. And he begins to realize something is missing. I mean, he had almost no church background, but what little church background he had led him to realize that he, that he probably needed to be in church or to, to at least consider finding a church home. He tried his best, like most people do, especially men, to, to put it off, to kind of put it on the back burner, to not pay attention to it. But, but after several months, this ever-growing sense that there was something missing from his life was still there. And so he approached his wife, Bethany, and asked if she and their two young daughters would, would go to church with him. 
Bethany, Ryan's wife, had a nominal church background. Uh, She wasn't interested in going back to church. She found, in fact, the world outside the church to be more pleasant than church life. But she nevertheless agreed to go with Ryan just this one time. And so they agreed to visit a church close to the neighborhood where they lived. They pulled up the church's website to learn about the ministries and services, which is what most people do now when they are searching for a new church home. But as they pulled this website out, they found, unfortunately, that several items there on the site were outdated. And very little had anything to do or any helpfulness to it for a first-time guest. So on Sunday morning, the family of four pulled onto the church's campus 15 minutes late, even though they thought they were there on time. Because they arrived late, all the church members had taken all the closer parking spots. Supposedly, there was guest parking, but Ryan, as he comes onto the campus, couldn't find any directional signs that would point him in the right direction. When they walked into the foyer of the worship center, obviously late, a couple of front door greeters spoke to them for at least two seconds before uh, turning back to their conversation, this private conversation, completely oblivious to the world around them, much less to the people who are around them. And so somehow Ryan and Bethany found their way to the children's area, and if the experience they had already that morning wasn't bad enough, this is where disaster really struck. They get to the children's ministry, they began to look around, they see the place was dirty. Security was weak, and the person that met them actually had the audacity to complain for the fact that they were late. Bethany, as you can imagine, not really wanting to be at church to begin with, gave Ryan the look. And guys, we know what the look is, don't we? We get the look quite often. And so Ryan gets the look from his wife. This was not a happy moment for them. In fact, it's surprising they even went into the worship service at this point. They both realized that they had made a bad decision, and it seemed obvious to them that they weren't really welcome at this church. Have you ever had experience like that? If you've been in church, or if you've visited churches enough, you've probably had, maybe not to that extent, but you've had a similar experience. I've been in churches, I've visited churches even as a pastor, usually especially if I have an opportunity to slide into a church in my local area, I try to go incognito, I might even try to put on a disguise so I'm not recognized. But I don't want to slide in there because I don't want to be treated as this royal guest. I just kind of want to watch and, and view what other churches do and I'll learn from them. And recently, actually about several months ago, I had an opportunity on a Sunday morning to go to a a church, and I went in there, and and we were greeted at the front, but as soon as we got into the worship center, no one spoke to us. We sat down, and and no one came over and said, hey, glad you're here. What's your name? My name's such and such. Uh, Here's my family. None of that stuff. Everybody just kind of sat down, kept to themselves. No one spoke to really anybody, much less the guest. It was one of those experiences that I just sat there and wondered, am I really welcome in this church? probably all had similar experiences. Think about this this morning. How is it possible for a person to feel unwelcome at the one place in a community where he or she should feel the most welcome? How is it that that happens in the church? The one place where anybody and everybody should feel more welcome than any other place in the community. Why is it that we could come to a church and not feel the welcome hand of God's people? To not really feel like we are wanted or desired to be in that place. 
It happens and it happens not just to the laity. I heard about a visiting preacher. This is a funny story. I heard about a visiting preacher who was preaching in a series of revival meetings at a church out in West Texas. The preacher was concerned when he began the first night of the revival meetings and noticed that all of the men coming into the church worship center were wearing guns. This is not 1800s. This is uh, much later than that. This is late 20th century. They come into the worship center, they're all wearing sidearms, and although the preacher was a little rattled, never experienced this before, he did the best he could with his sermon. When he finished preaching that evening, his anxieties began to really escalate, really began to heighten as several of the men approached him with their guns drawn. And so the preacher gets done preaching, he goes down and sits down uh, afterwards, and he's turning the service over to someone else, and he sits down next to the chairman of deacons, and all of a sudden, he sees this swarm of men, guns drawn, coming toward him. Can you imagine being that preacher? Good night. I would be reaching for my own gun, right? So he, he kind of, you know, he's, he's antsy, he's squirming in his seat, he reans over to the chairman and deacon and says, what in the world is happening? So the chairman and deacon kind of puts his hand on his leg and seeks to, tries to calm him down just a little bit. And the deacon says, don't worry, preacher, they ain't coming for you. They're looking for that old cuss who invited you to preach. And so, thank the Lord, he was off the hooks, but I feel sorry for the poor guy, either whether the pastor or the chairman of deacons they were coming after. And so, sometimes in church, we don't feel as welcome as we ought to. Last week, as we talked and opened up this series on what it means to be hospitable, and talking about this subject of welcome, we talked there about how you and I are welcomed by the Lord. And as we look at the scripture, we see that the meta narrative or the grand story of scripture is that God has invited, that God has welcomed sinful strangers into a redemptive relationship with himself. He doesn't push us away. He doesn't keep us at arm lengths. God opens his arms wide and embraces us, welcomes us to himself. In fact, Jesus said in Matthew 11, verse 28, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Now the Greek word, I'm going to give you a quick lesson in Greek. The Greek there that's translated all, you know what that means? It means all. What Jesus is saying there, he's saying everybody is welcome to me. Red, yellow, black, and white, they're all precious in his sight is what we used to sing. God welcomes all people to himself. And that's what we learn as we look at scripture that's the truth that we talked about this past Sunday here's the biblical truth you see as a Christian who's been welcomed by God we are to welcome the stranger because God in Jesus Christ has welcomed us as strangers God welcomes all strangers therefore we as children of God are to welcome all strangers because God has first welcomed us and this is the subject that I want to speak to this morning all are welcome to the Lord. All are welcome in the Lord's church. All are welcome to the gospel. Take your Bible in Ephesians chapter 2. Let's read verses 11 through 19. Paul, speaking to the church there in Ephesus, says these things. Let me just back up here. 
Paul, in, in the chapter 1, the beginning part of chapter 2, has been laying out the gospel message. He's been speaking to these Gentiles, trying to help them understand doctrinally all that Jesus has done for them and all that Jesus desires to do in them. That it's the blood of Jesus that's, that, that pays and atones for their sin. That it's a relationship that he desires with them and the calling upon their lives that brings them into this relationship. And so now he's going to flesh that out and say, you as a Gentile, you... Greeks, you Ephesians, you are on the same plane as Jews. You are all one in Jesus Christ. We all come by the same path, and that is through the blood and the resurrection of Jesus. And so verse 11, therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, remember he says, remember these things, that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, but now in Jesus Christ, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He's mentioned that twice. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. From this passage, I want to share with you three realities that we need to know in order to better understand, in, other, in, in order to better practice biblical hospitality. In other words, I want to share with you three things here that will help you become a more welcoming Christian. Thus, we as a church will become a more welcoming church. Reality number one is this. Sin separates. Paul begins here and he lays out how sin separates. Uh, Isaiah 59 two tells us that it's our iniquities which have separated us from God. So much so that God can't even hear us, has no relationship with us because there has been a dividing factor take place. Our sin separates us. Paul would, would lay out in Romans chapter 3 to the Romans that our sin makes us an enemy of God. That fact that we in our sinfulness have no desire to know God. But it does say also that God desires the relationship but because of our sin there can't be a relationship. There can't be a mutual friendship there. Sin is in the way. Sin separates man from God. And so the Bible teaches us that, man, that God created mankind for a relationship. You go all the way back to Genesis 1 and Genesis 2, and you see there the whole purpose of why this world exists. It's so that humanity can know the God that he was created in the image of. The beautiful picture of the Garden of Eden is, is that in the cool of the day, the Bible says, God, the Father, would come and walk in relationship with Adam. Can you imagine... Obviously, being outside where it's not 100 degrees with 100% humidity, I don't believe it was like that in the Eden. It was wonderful. But can you imagine being in the garden with, with, with the Lord, walking side by side, just having wonderful, intimate 
fellowship. Talking about life, talking about the things of life, talking about relationship with your wife, and and just the beauty of all that God had created all around you. And there's perfect intimacy, perfect relationship, perfect everything. That's what Adam and Eve used to experience. God used to walk with them there in the garden. They enjoyed his company, and they enjoyed the fellowship that they had with God. It was a beautiful and wonderful relationship right up until the day they rebelled. Adam and Eve chose to sin. And the moment they ate from that forbidden tree, the relationship that they had enjoyed with God was severed. It was cut away. The Bible teaches us that everyone, both Jew and Gentile, is separated from God because of sin. Sin has made us then strangers to God. And yet the Word of God tells us here that God is a friend to strangers. The God who created us for Himself desires to be in relationship with us, but sin separates us. But not only does it separate us from God, sin separates us from man. Man is separated from man because of sin. Today is the one-year anniversary of the horrific incident that took place in Charlottesville last August. Last year, as those uh, white supremacists clashed with Antifa demonstrators and and all of those things transpired, in that uproar, a 32-year-old woman was killed and 19 others were wounded as that car ranged into the crowd, injuring all those and killing that one lady. Why did that happen? Why is there such turmoil in our culture today? Why is there such division, such hatred, such violence in our culture today? Why is it still in 2018, racism, such a hot topic in our day? Why is it? It's because sin separates man from man, not just man from God. It puts us at enmity with one another. And so the separation that sin creates is the cause behind all of the racial tension that we see today. Even in this passage, we find a little hint of racial or ethnic tension. He says, the, the, remember that one time, verse 11, you Gentiles who are called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. In other words, what he's doing is he's pointing out a, a very common understanding in this day. That there were those circumcised Jews who were obviously supposedly be, being part of the family of God. And then there was everybody else. There were the haves and the have-nots. There was this tension between two different types of people that Paul's relating. And so here in this passage, what Paul's trying to do is he's trying to help the, under, the Gentiles understand that they have the same things that the Jews have. We all come to faith in God through Jesus Christ. There's no longer two. Now there's one in Christ. There's no longer Jew and Gentile. There are simply followers of Jesus. There was then and there is now... Great tension ethnically between people, and it all goes back to sin. Sin's the cause for the murders that we see. It seems like there's not a day that goes by that you don't turn your television set on or or, or watch some sort of news headline come across the screen or your tablet, and you see that there's a shooting in Richmond, there's a murder in Richmond, there's some sort of atrocity happening in our region here. Why does that happen? It's because of sin. Sin puts men against men and men against women. It's the cause behind the growing sex trafficking industry in our nation, which is flourishing in our region. It's what fuels the abuse of women and children. It's the undercurrent that breaks up marriages and splits families. It's the root of all separation in life. 
It's sin. It separates. It separates you from God and it separates you from one another. Thankfully, as you read the Word of God, you understand the Gospel, that's not the whole story. The Bible makes it clear that while sin separates, God welcomes. And He throws His arms open wide and He welcomes all. Sin separates. Second reality I want you to see this morning is this. Grace unites. Look at verse 13. Paul says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in place of the two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in the body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. He mentions hostility two times. He mentions this idea of God being our peace, Jesus bringing peace. What is he trying to say here? He's saying that you're becoming, you are hostile to God, but through Christ, now you experience peace with God. You once, because of sin, were hostile with one another, but now in Christ, we can be at peace with one another. That's what Paul's laying out. Sin separates us. The grace of God unites us. And so our sin and our separation may be great, but I want you to understand this morning, the grace of God is greater. Paul here told these Ephesian Gentiles that though they had been far off from God, what does that mean, far off from God? Can one person be further away from God than another person? No, not spiritually speaking. We're all lost. Lost is lost, right? It doesn't matter if you have no church background or if you've been in church every single Sunday for your entire life but are still lost, you're lost. Lost is lost. If you are on your way to hell, it doesn't matter what degree, you're still on your way to hell, right? So he's not saying that uh, Gentiles are more lost than Jews. What he's saying is this. You were far from God, meaning that you had no law, you had no commandments, you had no Jewish teachings to, to lead you to the gospel like the Jews. They had an advantage because they had the law, they had the prophets, they had the word of God. And so now the The gospel, the word of God, is coming to Gentiles like it has first gone to the Jew. So now Paul is saying this. Those who are near have the gospel. Those who are far have the gospel. And we can now be one in Christ. Does that make sense? This is yes, this is no. And if you're sleeping, uh, please wake up, right? Some of you sleep. I won't point you out, not today, because I don't see anybody asleep this morning. But some of you have a tendency to fall asleep. I understand. I probably put my family to sleep, so I'm okay with that. And so our sin separates us from God, but the gospel through Christ brings us together. So let me explain this a little further. The penal or the the, the penalty, the, 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 the price Jesus paid for the penalty of our sin, and through his sacrificial death there on the cross, has atoned covered our sin and what separated us from the Lord. And so Jesus, Paul seen here, has made peace with God with us, or for us, I should say. Jesus has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And so today, just like back there for the Ephesians, the shed blood of Jesus upon the cross covered and made peace with God the Father for us. For us. 
We don't deserve it. We can't earn it. We can't garner it. We can't beg for it. It's only simply a free gift that we must reach out and receive into our life. And when we do, the Bible tells us that grace unites us to the Lord. And grace, likewise, unites us to our fellow man. You see, as a follower of Jesus Christ, I can be in a right relationship with someone else because it's not contingent upon how good I am or how hard I strive. I can be in good relationship with another believer because they have the same Spirit of God within them that is within me. And grace is what unites us. Grace is what calls us together. Grace is what allows us to forbear the the wrongs done to us for the sake of Christ. So grace unites us together. Paul here is making the case that there is no longer Jew and Gentile. Instead, in Christ, there is one new man in place of the two. You see that there in verse 15. Therefore, all are welcome, both Jew and Gentile. All are welcome. Think about what that means. In the church, all are welcome. It doesn't matter if you're rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're educated or uneducated. It doesn't matter if you're cultured or uncultured. It doesn't matter if you're religious or irreligious. It doesn't matter if you're clean or if you're dirty, if you're black, you're white, whatever ethnicity you are. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you're a homosexual or you're a heterosexual. All are welcome in the church because Jesus loves all. That was a good place to say amen. All are welcome in the church. God breaks down the wall of hostility through the cross. And thus he can welcome all people to himself. His grace unites us. Sin separates. Grace unites. Here's a third reality, and that is love receives. Verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father... So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Paul here is telling us that in Christ, God welcomes you as children. Members of the household of God. It's a, it's a picture of being in the family of God. And as being a member of the family of God means, like I said last Sunday, that you are adopted into the family of God. You've been grafted in, as Paul would say. You are a part of the family of God. You have all the rights and privileges that come with being a son or daughter of the Lord. You have everything at your hand. Everything is at your desire. Love receives you. The Bible tells us that we have an Abba Father. We have a Daddy who loves and receives us, rejoices in us, who who picks us up, who who celebrates us, who who chastises or, or I should say disciplines us when we are down. When we fail, He's the one who picks us up, dusts us off, and encourages us to get right back in the game. That's what a Daddy does. And love receives us into that family. So in Christ, we also as Christians welcome others as brothers and sisters. That means we should lovingly receive others. Jesus has commanded us to to love our neighbor as we love ourselves. And so it shouldn't matter who the person is or what the person is like. As a follower of Jesus who's received the love of Jesus, who's experienced the love of Jesus in his or her life, we should then in turn place that toward others, lovingly receiving them into our lives. Is that easy? I don't know. Let me ask you. It's not. This week, I, I was sharing with my wife a few days ago that 
this week I had opportunity to be around people who are, let's just be honest, there are people who are not like us, right? We are all different, right? And birds of a feather tend to flock together, correct? So before you think that I'm a horrible person, let me just parenthetically lay that out there. Boy, that guy is just, he's so mean. No, that's not what I'm saying at all. But I was around some, some people that are, that are not like me, which that's a lot of people because I'm very unique and set in my ways. But um, so anyway, I, I'm sitting there, I'm like, and be, I'm just going to be transparent with you this morning because I'm just like you. I'm a preacher, but I'm human. And so I'm, I'm with these folks, and I'm sitting there thinking, how can I get away? How can I get away? I don't really like being in this situation. I don't really like being around these people. They're not, quote, unquote, my kind of people, right? You, 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 you're just like me. Before you have this religious facade on you this morning, you're just like me. We think these things. I'm just stupid enough to say them out loud this morning, but I'm saying it to make a point. And so I'm with this group of people, and I'm just sitting there thinking, how can I get away? And I'm kind of just edging. You know what you do when you're in a conversation you don't really want to be in. You just kind of, you know, just casually do this number until you're far enough away that there's this weirdness that you can, you can walk away without being a jerk. And so I'm just kind of doing that, and the whole time I'm wanting to get away, the Lord is just saying, hey, buddy, you're preaching on being welcoming this Sunday. Just remember that. Just remember, I've welcomed you, and you're a knucklehead too. You're not my kind of people is what the Lord is saying. I'm the one who welcomes you. You're an enemy, but I loved you. I received you. My grace has united you to me. Just remember that as you're trying to get away from this group of people. Love receives us. We have to be a follower of Jesus that loves others, even the people who are not like us. And so it shouldn't matter who the person is, what the person is like. We've got to fight against that tendency to only flock with those who are similar to us. You see, because of the love of Christ, our church, this fellowship, should look like our community. It's an atrocity that Sunday after Sunday after Sunday in the local church, what we find in America is the local church is the most segregated place in the country. Why is it that on 11 o'clock, 9 o'clock for us on a Sunday morning that we are segregated in everything that we do, but the rest of the week our kids go in public schools with all types of people, our our jobs are filled with all types of people, but for some reason on Sundays we segregate ourselves away from everybody else. Our church should be a microcosm of what our community looks like. If our community has... 11% African Americans, our church should have at least 11% of African Americans. Do you see, do you catch the logic there? If there's 13% Hispanic, we ought to have 13% of Hispanics in our church. We ought to be a microcosm of what our culture looks like. We we ought to see in our church people who who are alcoholics, who are trying to get over that, they're seeking hope. We ought to see drug addicts in our church who need to get out of that lifestyle. They're just reaching out. Help me if you can. Please, I need somebody. We need to see those type of people sitting in our pews. We need to see people who are are struggling with sexual identity and even living as homosexuals. They ought to be in our church because they're in our communities. I didn't say we embrace their sin. I didn't say we condone their sin. Absolutely, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying this ought to be a place that is so welcoming that those people feel the love of Jesus from the people of God when they come into this place that they feel comfortable enough to worship with us. How else will they ever hear the gospel if they're not around Christians and if we as Christians have to take the first step to engage them? 
We must be welcoming. Is that easy? Absolutely not. It's hard for this preacher to do it. It's hard. See, the people I like to hang out with are just rednecks like me. They're just like me. Those are the people I feel most comfortable with. You talk about hunting, you talk about football, I'm your type of guy to hang out with. If you talk about much else, I'm just kind of sitting there brushing the dust with my feet. i got to force myself to get out of the box. But it's the love of Christ within us and within our church that drives us to be different than we should be or than, than we are. We need to be a church full of broken people because we are a church full of broken people. We need to be a church that welcomes all every time we meet. Let me give you a couple things here. All should be welcome to our church. Five reasons, and I'm pulling these from one of Tom Rainer's books. So I just want you to know this is not original with me, but I concur with it completely. We want you to be welcomed at Red Lane Church because we want you, first of all, to experience the love of Christ. We believe in Jesus Christ. Amen? We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe he's the Savior of the world, and that's why we gather and worship at this church. Quite frankly, as a Christian, that's why we do all that we do. Think about it. There are many good organizations out there. Many of them are doing great, a great job serving people, ministering to needs, helping others. We are grateful for all of those organizations, but the local church is different. We do all that we do, not because we just want to be nice and help people. We do all that we do because Jesus commands us to do it. Because we are representing, we are his hands and feet in what we do. We know his love. We've experienced his love. We've given our lives to them. And so we want to share that with others. That's what's different about the local church. And so this morning, you may already be a Christian. That is great. We hope that you in this church can continue to experience the love of Jesus right here. Serving and loving Christ was never meant to be a solo effort. There's no such thing as a lone reign Christian. No, what it means to be a Christian, it, it means to be in fellowship with other believers. But perhaps this morning you're not a believer. Perhaps this morning you have questions and doubts. We are here to show you Jesus. We're here to help you experience the love of Christ because we know it to be transforming, we know it to be forgiving, and we know it to be life-changing. We want you to experience the love of Christ. Secondly, all are welcome here because we want to serve you. Every one of us have needs. Every person has needs. Everyone has hurts at some point in his or her life. Everyone has questions. We really love serving people. We really do love meeting the needs of others. And we as a church would love to meet your needs, to serve you in some capacity. And so this morning, what is your need? What is it that you have? Is there, is there questions about the gospel? Is there financial issues? Do you need help with your family, help in your marriage, help in your relationships? What is your need today as a church? All are welcome because we're here to serve you. Thirdly, all are welcome because we want you to make a difference. We want to serve you, but we want to serve you so that you can go and make a difference too. It's about you expressing the glory of God through your life. Big adventures with God often begin with small steps. And so the Lord has brought you here for a reason. If you're visiting with us, and we have guests with us every single Sunday, if you're visiting with us, God has not uh, just by chance allowed you to come to this church. No, He has sovereignly pointed you in this direction. 
So there's a difference he intends for you to make in and through this church in this community. And the story is still being written. We want you to make a difference. And we believe God has brought you to our church to do just that. Fourthly, all are welcome because we want to get to know you. We really do want to get to know you. We want to not just have a, a, a facial type relationship. We want to get to know you. You know what that means, a facial relationship. Well, I recognize him. I, I think I go to church with him. I don't really know his name. It's funny. Sometimes I'll, I'll talk to kids, and they're like hanging out with together, and then afterwards you ask them, hey, uh, what's the kid's name that you were just talking to and hanging out with for like three hours? Oh, I don't know. You don't know. You just spent three hours with them. You don't know what their name is, but that happens all the time. Not just with kids. It happens with us. So we, we desire to have more than superficial, uh, surface-level type of relationship with you. There's something special when people get to know one another. They, they learn about their families. They learn about their hopes, their dreams, their fears, and even their hurts. And as a church, uh, we need to always understand that we are family. We love one another. That means sometimes we don't get along like we should, but we're family. We love one another. And we want to, we want to get to know one another. We're not satisfied to simply attend worship just to go home. We want more than that. We should desire for more than that. And we believe you need more than that. If you're visiting with us, even if you're a member of our church and all you do is come on Sunday morning and you attend worship to go home, you're missing out on a lot. In fact, I would say this, if you're going to come to one thing on Sunday morning, come to a small group, don't come in here. Because you need relationships deeper than you can make in a, in a crowd. You can't really get to know the people around you by uh, shaking a hand and, and maybe getting a, a hug or whatever I don't really ever see any of you giving holy kisses. That would kind of freak us out just a tad But uh, in this culture. But you can't get to know somebody in a crowd. You can get to know someone in a small group, though. And so I would say if you can only come to one thing on Sundays, go to that. Don't come in here. But I think you need both. I really do. I believe you need both. Sometimes people will ask the question, Pastor, do I really need to be in church to be a good Christian? You need to be in church to be a growing Christian. I, I don't know how you quantify good but if you want to grow in your, your spiritual walk with the Lord, yes, you need to be in fellowship with God's church in a small group. And I would also say, if you can, in worship under the preaching of God. So we're family. We want to get to know you. And you can't do that without being in relationship with others. And so we believe spiritual growth happens best in the context of a small group. Lastly, all are welcome at Redline because we like you. And you're probably wondering, well, like, that's such a, why didn't you say love? I think sometimes we can, in Christ, love people like Jesus does, but don't really want to hang out with them. Right? I mean, I love a lot of people. I think I genuinely care for them. I'll minister to them. I'll serve them. But I don't really want to hang out with them. Right? But as a, as, as a Christian at Redline, we need to strive to be the type of Christians that want to hang out with all kinds of people. And so when we say we like you, that's what we're striving to be like. We really want to like people. Sometimes we, we, we say it like this in our marriages. Man, I love my spouse. I just don't like him right now, right? Or is that just Karen? I'm just kidding. Um, we need to be a Christian that, that really does like people, that likes to hang out with people. And so, you, and the introvert is preaching this. And so it's a struggle for me just like it's a struggle for you. But I really do think it's possible to love someone without liking them. 
So we not only love you, we like you, we want to spend time with you. We, we like you because we know God loves you. And we like you because we love people the way God loves them. And that is unconditionally, without strings attached. That is what we're striving for. That means everybody, all people, are welcome. You remember Ryan and Bethany and their two daughters? Stories, they came to church there and found it not very impressing. See, the church they visited left a very lasting impression on them. Regrettably, it wasn't a very welcoming church, and the people showed their the people there showed little to no care for their guests. Therefore, that church made an impression that very well could have impacted this family for all of eternity. And every single week, people will darken the doors of our church, and they will get an impression that will not just be a momentary impression, or even a monthly impression, or even in the next couple of years type of impression. It will leave an impression that will last for all of eternity. They will gauge their understanding of the goodness and the grace of Jesus by how welcoming the church is to them. So as a Christian, as a church, we need to take very seriously this idea of biblical hospitality, that we literally represent Christ. You, you know in Acts uh, the book of Acts, the church there in Antioch. Do you know what they called them? They called them Christians. The first time we ever see that term in the scripture, in the history of the New Testament, the history of the early church, it's there in Antioch. And what they were literally saying is this. These people look like little Christ. People that walk through our doors, that come and worship with us, come and sit in a small group, come to our activities that we have throughout the year. What they need to see in this church is a bunch of little Christ walking around. Loving, sharing, caring, ministering, praying with them, serving them, sacrificially giving to them. We need to be the hands and feet to all people because that is what Jesus would do. So think, think with me, if you will. How different would Ryan and Bethany's visit to, to church have been if the church had welcomed them with love? If the church had welcomed them with the tenderness and the intentionality of Jesus? How different would their future have been? God was definitely working in Ryan's heart as he begins to realize there's something missing. He's struggling with this. That was not just the fact that he ate something bad the night before. No, that was God using life circumstances to really tweak something in his heart, to give him a desire to search for something more. And then he comes to church, and it's like they rained on his parade. No intentionality, no tenderness, no love, no care. Thus, they probably threw their hands up and walked away from the gospel for all of eternity. Church, we must never allow that to happen here at Red Lane. We must never allow that to happen in our personal lives. We must be the kind of Christ follower who welcomes all kinds of people. We must fight against the tendency to talk and hang out with only other people like ourselves. And in fact, when you're in your holy huddles at church and you see somebody as a guest come by, somebody that may worship here all the time, but you don't know them, reach out, befriend them, bring them into the holy huddle. I don't think we can ever eradicate holy huddles. I don't know that we need to. If we will simply include people into our huddles, that is an invitation of hospitality to them. So let's fight against this tendency to, to push people away. Instead, let's seek out the stranger. Let's seek out the guest. Let's seek out the one who needs a friend and include them into our lives. We must be a church who embraces and welcomes all people. After all, that's the reason we're here. Amen? That's the reason we're here. We're here today, those of us who are in relationship with Jesus. We're here to worship. We're here to celebrate. 
We're here to listen to the Word of God. We're here to learn. We're here to serve. We're here to do all of these things. Why? Because God first welcomed us. You see, I was a religious kid trying to do my thing to earn my way. And God broke through my religiosity, broke through my, my, my desire to, to earn my own way and showed me grace. I understood how my sin was hostile toward Him. I understood how my sin separated myself from the God who was actively seeking me. And grace brought me to my knees. And those of us who are in Jesus, we understand that. And thus we serve others. This morning, some of you, you've never experienced that in your life. And I say this every Sunday. I'm always going to say this every Sunday. Because I just believe it to be true. That there are people sitting in pews all across this country in churches every Sunday that think they're going to heaven. But Matthew 7 is a reality to them. Jesus, the most frightening passage in all of Scripture to me is Matthew 7, where Jesus says, there will be many on that day who say, Lord, Lord, but I will say, depart from me. You, they'll, they'll say, hey, Lord, I did this and this and this. I served in the church. I did this. I gave money. I went on mission trips. I, I, I was a pastor. I, look at me. I, I have all these things. And Jesus will simply say, depart from me. I don't know you. You've never come in relationship to me. And so this morning, I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to do anything but just say, this is a reality, and if this is true of you, this morning will be the greatest day of your life for you to come to know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. God stands with arms wide open to welcome you. If you're religious but lost, today's the day for you to be saved. If you are non-religious and lost, today is the day for you to be saved. So we're going to move to a time of response. It's an opportunity for us as believers, perhaps to, to just say, Lord Jesus, I'm not a very welcoming person, and I've just felt your conviction in my heart. Help me to be a more welcoming person. And just lay that out before the Lord. You can do that in your seat. You can do, come here to the front, make these steps an altar. If you need to follow Jesus as Lord and Savior, I would encourage you, step out of the pew, come forward, and we'll get you with an encourager this morning who will walk with you through the gospel to help you understand the decision that you need to make this morning. Maybe this is time for you to join our church, get that process going, or, or, or some sort of decision like that. This is an opportunity for you to respond as well publicly. So let me pray for us. We're going to stand, we're going to sing, and then we're going to respond to God's word. Lord Jesus, we love you, and thank you this morning for being a God who welcomes strangers. Lord, you don't ask or demand for us to earn it. You don't expect us to pay a fee. All of that has been done for us. And this morning, Lord Jesus, in this time of response, my prayer for our church is that we would just simply respond in faith, respond in obedience to whatever it is that right now you're pressing upon our hearts. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't allow the enemy to steal what you're wanting to do. In just a moment as we stand, there will be a temptation to just stay put. Some will grip the back of the pew and fight that and think, if I can just get through it, I'll be fine. And they've done that so many times. The truth is, Lord, your word tells us that as we grieve your spirit, we are creating more and more calluses upon our heart. We can't hear you as clearly as we once did. So God, I pray this morning would be the day that we do what's right. Lord, I pray for the lost person, that man, that woman, that child, to give their life to Jesus. I pray for Christians to 
really think seriously and make some serious commitments surrendering of themselves to you to be more welcoming. God bless us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you stand with me?